house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Can decisions shape your life? You'll be aware of five above. Seven ways to go to school. I need you to take Cleo. Welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast decked out floor to ceiling in Casa Zeta Jones. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my twin sister stripping sadly to the Foo Fighters, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. Um, sad news. My other twin sister stripper, um, Olivia de Havilland, is dead. Oh, no. Um, God, imagine if Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine, maybe that was the source of their uh, animosity all those years. Is I, a- I bring her up because she died today, and I'm positive we mentioned her last week. Hashtag Casa Seda Jones. Um <laughs> I mean, Catherine can uh, Catherine can rest easily on the lawsuit being over, I guess. Or is she suing Ryan? Who is she suing? Anyway, Olivia de Havilland, highly litigious. Rest in peace. Maybe Angel. her estate will still keep going after Catherine, though. We don't know. Like she could, she could have a clause in her uh, in her last will and testament that the proceedings against Catherine Zeta Jones will continue. Who knows? I wouldn't I bring put it her past up her. only because, like, I'm positive we mentioned her last episode, but we also have this habit of talking about people on mic, and our yeah. episodes are like two weeks ahead of time usually. Talking about people on mic, and then I get off the call, check Twitter, and that person has died. Who was the day. last person this this happened to? Because it was a thing, I, wasn't it? There's several. I will never forget that we um, talked about John Singleton the day that John Singleton died. Right. God. There was someone Sad. semi-recently. Um, we gotta be careful. We gotta, you know. We gotta talk about no people. Because we, <laughs> right. we are the curse that kills people. We'll redact everything. Yeah. So, well, if we want to talk about very few things, we've probably picked the right movie this week because this is a movie that sort of um, takes minimalist to the hilt. I'm super excited to be talking about it because it's like low key one of my favorite films by this director. Sometimes if you catch me on the right day, I'll say it is my favorite film. And we picked it because our guest picked it. And we're very super, super happy to have our guest this week. Uh, he is a stand-up comedian. He is the co-host of the Stradio Lab podcast, a really excellent podcast. Welcome our guest, George Severus. George, welcome. Hello. Thank you. I'm truly, I mean, I've told you both this, but this has been like a career goal of mine for quite some time. Oh, stop. Oh, please. It is Thank especially you, now the only two podcasts that are that bring me joy are this one and Who Weekly. They're the only things that actually reliably bring me joy every week. So, <laughs> Who Weekly truly, puts in so much work. I'm so intimidated I, I by their work ethic. I swear to God, they're just tireless. 
they are the I know they're really guys. like a two-person shop I mean it's crazy and then I I'm not a patreon subscriber but they apparently do like two more episodes on patreon every week it's amazing no we love them we love Bobby and Lindsay um but this is about you guys sorry sorry to no, immediately no, no. start talking <laughs> about another say, back podcast to us, back to us <laughs> thank you um how much you love us no um we were when I found out on uh Twitter because you had been on uh, Matt and Bowen's podcast. You had been on Las Culturistas. Yeah, yeah. Another, like, huge favorite podcast of ours. And I was like, God, like, you're, I was like, his pop culture sensibilities line up so closely to mine. I'm like, this is really fantastic. And I think I tweeted something about how much I love that episode. And you had mentioned, you had, like, responded and you said that you were a fan of this had Oscar buzz. And That's right. Yeah. From the, from the Tumblr days. And I was just like, okay, well we've got to have him on. Like that was just like, I was determined. <laughs> I was like, we got to have George on. And I think, I think initially, cause I think I had like DM'd you and you were like, you guys should do an episode on the beguiled. So like you were already on the Sophia. Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly early. I would have, because we, when we chose this movie, I, it wasn't in your list that you sent me, but I said we should do a Sofia Coppola. And then you said, do you want to do The Beguiled or somewhere? And I do think The Beguiled is in some ways a, a more quintessential This Had Oscar Buzz movie. Yeah, I think that's right. But it, I just like, I think the talking about like the racial politics of that movie is just not something I have in me right now. <laughs> I feel you. I feel that you know? for sure. Yeah. And I think and, somewhere and the, yeah. is... Somewhere's a fascinating little conversation, and we're like, we'll totally get to that. But I want to um, talk about you for a little bit. Um, you're very recently. We're recording. We only record this about a week ahead of time, so like, it's not going to be out of date uh, by this point. But you had your uh, Comedy Central set very recently went live, and sort of. I think there was like a two or three day span where like I was seeing it absolutely everywhere. And oh good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> congratulations on that. I mean, that's got to be such a such a cool thing for you to be experiencing it, right now. It was, I have to say. I mean, that was recorded so long ago, but I do think it was I'm very lucky that I got any kind of stand up on tape before stand up died altogether. Like I think that was recorded in um maybe November or December. So truly I got in right right under the wire. Yeah, I was I, watching that. There is that sense of, as I do with watching so many things that were from the before times where I was just like, oh, God, remember, remember going indoors to places with like multiple people and like being entertained in a group. Yeah. From the before yeah. times where it's like real people in a close, enclosed setting together. I know. Yeah. Got to get back. I mean, I also like for that, that set was filmed in Austin. So I just, that, that might have been the last time I was on a plane. Like it, yeah. it, it was a lot of lasts. I, I think about lasts a lot. I talked about, I think I talked about on the podcast, Chris, uh, recently about how my last movie that I saw in a theater was Palm Springs and um, just sort of the being able to pinpoint that is so sad and weird. Oh, yeah, and totally. Sort of I've like, thought about that, too. Yeah. And my last movie, which I think is a, uh, such a common answer, was is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I think so many people, um, yeah. especially not people like you guys who get advanced, uh, you know, <laughs> get to go to advanced screenings and 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 film festivals and stuff but like for for many of us of us plebes i do think for a lot of people it was portrait of lady on fire and then i remember like the last party i went to the last bar i went to and it's i said i went to a karaoke thing like the week before everything started to shut down and i was just like that is such a first of all just like a thing that i'm going that i super miss doing but also 
that's going to be like the last thing we're going to be allowed to do again. Like that's going to be yeah. where it's just like closed room, everybody sharing a thing that you like a microphone that you put up close to your mouth. And like, it's such <laughs> yeah, close I mean, quarters. that's how I feel about stand up comedy. Yeah. Everybody's singing, which they say is like the most like aerosol aerosolizing of like anything you can do in close quarters. Yeah. And I was just like, man, we're not going to be able to do karaoke for like five more years. It's so sad. Yeah. Talk about the stress. For me, though, the thing that like I just sit in my home and I brood and stress and I just like sit in a chair sweating. I'm surrounded by bars in my home. And on a Thursday goddamn night last week, loud ass karaoke pouring into my house from the bar surrounding me. Oh, wow. I would have been furious, man. Oh, I was, I was very, I was just in my home, very stressed out. Yeah. Um, so George, talk to our, uh, talk to us, but also uh, let our listeners know if they maybe don't know about hmm. Stradio Lab. Like, what's oh, the? Sure. Give them yeah. like the pitch. It's such a great idea for a podcast. Well, I mean, the idea itself. I mean, it, I feel like there's two layers. For the the pitch itself is like we have a guest every week, me and Sam Taggart, another comedian, my co-host, we have a guest every week and we talk about an element of straight culture. So that can be something as obvious as, you know, fraternities or gender reveal parties, just like very straight things or something a bit more avant-garde, like the city of Denver. <laughs> or, um, I mean, we had, and we do like kind of meta ones where we had an episode that was the straight topic was pride, which is like, oh, ha ha ha, pride is straight, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, so that's kind of like the the baseline. But then we also... I, I feel like at all times we are trying to operate on a slightly meta level and kind of like do commentary on the idea of having a comedy podcast, which right. sometimes can be very funny. Other times it's like, what are we doing here? But uh, but we've had I have to say we've had like we've been very lucky with some of the guests we've had recently. I thought like a, like the recent episode we had with Ayo Adebri was like such Amazing. a fun. I mean, she just brought such a great energy and was like, you know, and and especially now more and more we'll like have people on that told us they have listened to it so that so they know like you know what to do and they're not right. like caught off guard when we start like yelling at them um so yeah please please subscribe and review <laughs> yeah definitely subscribe definitely hit that five star review for sure um one of the things we have when we have our guests on that we want to talk about especially with first time guests is what was your we're co- we say or Oscar origin story, but mm-hmm. like just you know your earliest experience with the Oscars where you were like, oh, this is a thing I'm like into maybe more than like the passing interest that like regular people have. Yes, of course. Um, okay, so I thought about this a little bit this morning. I think I mean, I guess there are three. I would say from 1999 through 2001 was like when I had the slow realization that this was something that I was really into. I think, I mean, the first big movie that I remember, and this is a very kind of like unoriginal thing to say is Titanic. Like I just, I have such a distinct memory of like, I mean, at the time I was living in Greece too. So when I was um, very young, so it was such a global hit that I remember like, Mm -hmm. you know, getting like an ice cream that came with Titanic playing cards. And like, it would like literally like the the little cards. I seriously would, absolutely. I mean, and it's, it was like, it was like either some of them were like, you know, production stills or the cover of like what would become, you know, the poster or whatever. And I, I remember those photos so well that like if you, if I Google image, um, you know, just Titanic movie, 
I, I can so it's like this kind of visual memory that I the only other way I can describe it is like the way I remember, you know, people I grew up with. Like, I know yeah. that there was like a still, you know, the still of like them, uh, you know, on the on the front of the boat. And, and you know, when she's like, I can fly or whatever, then there's but there's like other distinct product. Like, I know the difference between like the the poster for the American, like the American version of the poster versus yeah. the European version of the poster. The European you know, version things is like, like purple. Exactly. Yeah. So so that was Titanic. And also, I mean. For whatever reason, my parents didn't care about, you know, like nudity and, and things like that. So I did see it in theaters multiple times. I probably saw it maybe two or three times. But I remember like it was definitely once with my mom, definitely once with my aunt, who I had like a very close relationship with. But I just remember I also remember like someone saying like, oh, this person broke the record for how many times they'd seen Titanic in theaters. And it was like someone who was like in the local news that had seen it like 32 times in theaters or something. I was going to say, you'd I have just, to like, see remember... it so many times to break a record because like that was such a multiple viewings kind of a movie. Like all the like the Leo girls or whatever would see it, be yes. seeing it with their friends like every week. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. So that was... Um, that was the first big movie I remember. Then the first, I would say, Oscars moment that I really remember well is Roberto Benigni walking on the chairs. Sure. Yes. Like that was, and I didn't even know who he was, to be honest. I also, I only later did I remember, did I like, you know, when I had gotten into Oscars history, did I realize he had won for best actor. I was just like, an Italian man is like going insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like, I didn't know what the movie, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um. So that was the first memory. And then the first time that I really remember, like, truly no you know having my choices and having my thoughts and stuff was i guess it would be and correct me if i'm wrong i guess it would be the next year was russell crowe and julia roberts or is that wrong that would have been two years later that two years later. Was okay. well, that and done. yeah crowe and julia are 2000 yeah. yeah and then next year was denzel and halle berry yes mm -hmm. yep okay so yeah that's what I, I remember like i remember because i thought I guess I didn't know a lot about Russell Crowe, whereas I really knew a lot about Tom Hanks just because so many of his movies were more like kid friendly. Sure. So I just oh, knew yeah. who he was. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking, like, obviously, it's going to be Tom Hanks. He's the famous one. Like, he's the only one I know of the people nominated. Right. And then I was so shocked when it was Russell Crowe. And then Julia Roberts was like, I mean, that was I, it's also like Aaron Brockovich was like the quintessential adult movie. Like, that was the movie that at Blockbuster, like the parents got. And, right. you, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. And, and you then, got the parent trap. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I just, I also remember like the concept. This is so dumb, but like the concept of like a cover of a movie saying Julia Roberts is Aaron Brockovich. Yes. I thought was so like such a thing. Like oh, like <laughs> I'm trying to think of like other examples of this. Like Denzel Washington is Malcolm X. You know, yep. like I, that to me was such a thing I'd never seen before. Anyway, so so that was definitely the first year, and then and then I, by the time it was the following year, I really. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch Monsters Ball, but I, like, knew who Halle Berry was, was right. very, like, knew that it was... I also, like, distinctly remember, like, the how significant it was that both the winners were African-American. Like, I was, like, very, you know, I, I understood it as kind of, like, a cultural yeah. moment. And then what I would do... I mean, I, you know, I, I just thought the pageantry of it all was very fun, but I one memory I have is that my parents would get, like, the New York Times... Uh, I. I, I don't know if it was like the Saturday one or the Sunday one, but or the Friday one, but the, the, the weekend section would always have like, you know, the ads for whatever movies were playing. 
and it was very political obviously like you know based on how much money each company had or whatever like yeah. which movies got full page ads or which movies had like giant for your consideration ads basically and i would literally i wouldn't read any articles but i would just leave through the weekend section just to look at movie ads yeah and just like to clock like who's nominated for what like mm-hmm. even though i didn't know what any of especially a lot of the more adult movies i would just kind of like look at um kind of why they were significant oscar wise when i was in college i worked at the library there i worked there when i was an undergrad and then also i got a job there after i graduated because i was not ready to move on to the real world um and so the the whatever the periodicals section downstairs got variety and the hollywood reporter like the print editions of them Mm -hmm. and i would go i was just that was the only way i would be able to get them because they're obviously you know trade publications and nobody gave a shit about you know (laughs) buffalo um but i would i'm fascinated by them during award season and they would have like archives that would go back and i would look at these just like incredibly elaborate ads but also very insidery where they would be like explicitly being like vote for this and vote for these people and whatever and i was so fascinated i was taking a course in public speaking as part of my uh communication studies degree and our one assignment was we had to deliver a an instructional speech, a speech that sort of like goes through the step by step of how to do something. And mine, because I was so fucking homosexual, I did uh, <laughs> how to how uh, to like essentially like run an Oscar campaign and like how to like uh, do it for your consideration. Learning this about you, I don't know, but it's like deeply, deeply. Uh, unwell of me a piece of my history (laughs) and it went over like a lead balloon like it really did like nobody got it my classmates didn't get it my teacher was just sort of just like oh like good good job like it was very yeah i got like a polite b plus and whatever um but yeah i was fascinated by (laughs) those those for your consideration ads back in the day yeah the, the ads and also just like when you saw just like a trailer for a new movie or like a poster and you were like, Oh, this is Oscar. Like, yes, even, and that's kind of why I thought when I first like had discovered the, the, the Tumblr, why I thought it was, it just brought back. So many, I like one that I remember. And at this point I was older, I wasn't like a child, but like things we lost in the fire to me is such a quintessential, like you see that poster and the, and the, it's specifically the people they chose to put in the starring roles and like the title is like just weird enough that it's kind of memorable holly berry is sobbing in the trailer exactly it's just like it is <laughs> the movies like that just fascinated me so much where they were almost there i mean it seemed like they did everything right and yet they just couldn't do it i remember when i realized that movie trailers that specifically told you which of the actors were academy award nominees or yeah. winners that when I realized that, oh, that means that this is going for Oscar. Like, I felt like it was such mm-hmm. a light bulb over my head moment. Just like, oh, that's why. Because they don't do it for blockbusters. They don't tell you, like, Academy Award nominee Nicole Kidman in The Peacemaker mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, they don't yeah. do that. Like, it's, it's... You don't have Academy Award nominee Rachel McAdams for the Doctor Strange trailer. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. No, this... I'm, I'm, it's always so nice to hear that other people experienced this kind of uh uh, evolution growing up totally as, uh, especially the did. newspaper ads thing because like that was such a huge like promotional thing that is like just absolutely not a concept anymore I remember right. like that's how I learned what American Beauty was I learned it from a full page newspaper ad where you're flipping totally. a page and it's that of course the like belly poster and like it's 
it was obviously such a striking image and was such a huge part of like that campaign that they had this really successful image but like that was even before the awards and then you can kind of track it as like when golden globes come in sag comes in and it's like when you have like a number attached to it like five nominations yes it gives yeah. you this like especially as a young oscar obsessive like this quantifiable idea of like prestige or quality yeah in a way that yeah. we don't really see now yeah it's funny that those ads who, that are meant to presumably get the attention of people who have power have the biggest effect on young gay boys <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny how that works out um, speaking of things that appeal to young gay boys, what drew you to wanting to do a Sofia Coppola uh, film for us? Um, I just, well, she just is such a, I mean, on, to be honest, I, I was shocked that you guys hadn't done one before. So I, that's why I jumped in and I was like, oh, I, I would love to be like, you know, on the first, on the episode that, you know, the, that's the first time you guys discuss Sofia Coppola, just because she is such a classic example of like, well, she's such an interesting person, Oscars-wise, because she had the the huge success of Lost in Translation and then could never, in terms of Oscars at least, could never get back up to that height. Even though you could argue that, I mean, there's been there have been hits or misses, but her movies in general still are still, broadly speaking, critically acclaimed. She still, you know, she works with very good actors. She's still very respected. It's not like she's an M. Night Shyamalan situation. Right. Um, but, but for whatever reason, like it, it, she just hasn't gotten to that point after that. And it doesn't seem like, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm now, I know that she, you know, has that movie that at some point will come out with Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. I'm sure it will be just as good as all the other ones. Do I think it'll suddenly, you know, catapult her back to winning an Oscar? I don't think so. Like, it's kind of just like, I kind of think she got her Oscar. Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think one of the things, and we'll sort of, we'll obviously go uh, farther into the Sofia Coppola thing uh, as we get into the episode. But one of the sort of theories I had had about that is just like her movies didn't get. It's not that they got worse, but they never got bigger. They she never really mm-hmm. like leveled up in scale. Even I guess the Beguiled is the closest that it comes to it. But even the Beguiled, when you watch well, Marie it, Marie Antoinette too. But Marie yeah. Antoinette, for, like, a mainstream Oscar audience, is too weird. It's probably still her weirdest movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. and in terms of, like, emotional scope, it's still pretty small, right? Where it's, mm-hmm. like, it's the story of Marie Antoinette, but it's the story of, like, her little limited experience within Versailles and among her friends and palace intrigue and all that. And it never really, like, the revolution is very much on the fringes of that movie. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of her aesthetic. And, like... I love that's one of the things I really love about her it's you know it's one of the things I really love about somewhere is that it's so dedicated to being exactly what it is and she never like moved up to doing the fantasy movie or the action movie or anything like that she's stayed so concentrated on the kind of movie that she makes and I think that's I think when that is a breakthrough as Lost in Translation was it's new. It's interesting. She's obviously like Hollywood royalty. So that is going to be very attractive to the Oscars. But without the next movies being like a big leap forward in terms of the kind of movie she's making, there's there isn't that like shininess to it anymore. And it's tougher to, um, you know, hang a campaign on that, I guess. Well, and see, I think this type of, like, specificity of, like, narrative or characters or perspective is why she hasn't really been 
back in the Oscars because it is kind of this she's making movies about very specific kind of people and I would say she is interrogating it more than I think some of her critics would say um but like the reason why she I think she's not welcome back is because she makes these small movies about people in like small ways with small like lives basically or like very um isolated lives I guess you could say and that's even though the movies are different like she's a very very specific filmmaker and that's not necessarily what Oscar is always going to leap towards well, it's also like a form. Of, I mean, one of her strengths as a director is getting interesting performances out of actors. And that's just something that isn't valued. I mean, I remember feeling this way about Marielle Heller last year mm-hmm. or was it two years ago? Wh- whatever. Um, but uh, both years, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess both years. But for me, at least, especially with um, uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Like yeah. that just isn't an element of directing that is valued by the Oscars is getting like really nuanced quiet performances out of <laughs> Stephen Dorff and Elle Fanning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to get into the specifics of the movie before we do George as our guest we are going yes. to ask you if you are prepared to do a 60 second plot description. I am. I am I I really hope. I mean I have to say not much plot so I <laughs> Yeah, if I can't do it, that'll be on me. Ever. One of the <laughs> things that I saw when I was looking it up was like the script was 43 pages. I'm like, that's that tracks. That's about right. That's so funny. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we kick it to that, I'll just give out the basics. So we're going to be talking about Somewhere, the 2010 film Somewhere, directed and written by Sofia Coppola, starring Stephen Dorff, Elle Fanning, Michelle Monaghan, a few fun little cameo uh, appearances by actors that we'll get into. Uh, it premiered on September 11th, 2010 at the Venice Film Festival. did not open in the United States until December 22nd, where it opened limited, and it didn't ever really expand that much, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that too. But George, I'm going to put 60 yes. seconds on the clock, and if you are ready, I am ready. I am ready. All right, okay. and begin. Okay, uh, Johnny Marco is a recently divorced Hollywood actor who lives in the Chateau Marmont in L.A. He's kind of going through the motions of publicity for his new movie and also partying all the time and sleeping with various blonde women. Uh, his daughter, Cleo, visits him, and he starts kind of taking her around with him to events, including an award show in Milan. At some point, his ex-wife calls him and tells him she has to go away for a while, um, and he has to take Cleo to camp. Then on their way to camp, Cleo starts crying, saying she doesn't know when her mom will be back and that he is seconds. always away. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, OK, they, sp- they spent a night in Vegas uh, kind of gambling and um, and bonding. And then he puts her in a cab to go to camp on her own. And then as she and, and then right before she leaves, he apologizes to her for not being around, but she can't hear him because of the sound of his helicopter. Uh, then he goes back to Sounds L.A. Like by himself, decides to move out of the Chateau Marmont as and and um, and then as he's driving away, he parks his car and starts walking uh, by himself in the middle of nowhere. And then the movie ends uh, with a song by Phoenix. <laughs> yes, it does. Good job. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Oh, my God. I can't. Get oh, wow. I'm going to stop buzzing. Just All in right. time. Yes. No, you were perfect. Um, yeah, you kind of nailed it. There's, it's such an a specifically structured movie that it does sort of like it moves along. I think pretty well. It's not a long movie. It's just a movie that has very long takes and very sort of like 
relaxed and leisurely scenes but it moves from like one thing to another thing to another thing and like the emotional beats i think track pretty clearly right yeah yeah no i think it's a classic example of like if you're not in the right headspace, you could watch something like this. Or if this is just not your thing, you could watch it and be like, okay, nothing happens. What's the point? Like, literally, <laughs> right. she doesn't know how film works, you know. But but if you are slightly general, you realize that, like, every single thing is so intentional. And it's almost like this kind of, um, you know, a, a plot based on emotions rather than events. But if you kind of, like, accept that, then you realize that everything is so seamlessly kind of you know one thing is put in front of uh the previous one in a way that honestly makes it maybe one of her most uh focused movies yeah yeah i would agree i think she's also presenting things in a way specifically with like the details surrounding like johnny and his stardom that are like not as you know like it's not the type of like movie decisions or a bigger decision to like make you kind of write the movie off a little bit or you could feel like it's something you've seen before where it's like yeah johnny parties a lot but he's not like getting obliterated he's not doing a ton of crazy drugs right he doesn't have a drug problem he doesn't have a drinking problem i really kind of liked that that it didn't rely on these crutches of him being in crisis oh my god there were so many places where it could i mean even i would say i mean for instance, the twins dancing on the poles, that could have been played so much more melodramatically or yes. like could have been kind of like a sign of him being depraved and yep. like obsessed mm-hmm. with, you know, but it w- but even that was played just the right amount for laughs in a way that was also weirdly not disrespectful to the women. Like it, yeah. it, it was it's all done very subtly and like so much so that when finally like when they're in the car and Elle Fanning starts crying First of all, even even the crying is is not done in a in a really kind of like hysterical way. It's done it's done you know yeah. v- very subtly. But like, it almost then has so, so much more of a of an emotional impact because everything has been so muted. It's also the only scene in the movie that feels to me like the actual dialogue matters. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a really yeah. good because point. Because then, yeah, I mean, and and something as small as like he then says something's. I mean, he basically doesn't correct her when she's like, everything sucks. My parents are both like, you know, constantly gone. And he basically just says like, it'll be okay, honey, or something. And it's like so heartbreaking because he actually can't promise her something different. It's kind of gutsy to have for on Sofia Coppola's part to write this film where the protagonist and I mean, everything from how he is on the page to how he is on the screen to the casting of it is so built to resist any kind of audience sympathy where Mm -hmm. it's just like, he's so disaffected. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's kind of a shit, but not in, as I mentioned, like these big elaborate ways. So it's not even like, you can just be like, Oh, this, you know, poor wayward soul or whatever. And it's just sort of, he never really like screws up as like a dad. Like, it's not like he, right. You know, abandons her to go snort Coke or something. Like he's just a general, like, fuck up who's probably not ever built to be a parent but like there's no grand way that he screws up in this movie right just the platonic ideal of a fuck boy you cast steven dorf which is such perfect casting i like i kind of can't believe it and again because she makes her movies on such a small scale she's able to get away with that she's able to cast steven dorf as your lead in a movie and it's like and it's fine and she doesn't 
she manages to get his character to a point where he's you spend enough time with him and cleo the daughter together that eventually it's not like you're like leaving with like warm and fuzzy feelings for johnny marco but you just you get the feeling that you like you get their dynamic you get their vibe you understand what's going on with them it is neither you know super laudable or super tragic it just sort of is this story and i think she coppola ends up really nailing it in a way that by the end of the movie and i was watching this again like i already knew that i'd seen this movie before and i liked it but watching by the end of the movie i was struck again by just like oh wow she really just pulls it together yeah no it really is it's honestly an incredible feat and i have to say i had watched it once before and i watched it literally like hours ago this morning for 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 this and i liked it even more the second time Mm -hmm. um and it is, I mean, you're absolutely right that it, it just doesn't have a moralistic outlook. I mean, to, to make a movie literally about, like, so, uh, you know, fatherhood, the emptiness of stardom, all of yep. these, like, big things, and manage to not be moralistic about it is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Also, I was so much more impressed this time with Al Fanning than I was the first time. Like, Me too. And I think it's because I've seen her perform as an older you know, young woman now where mm-hmm. it's, it's her career so fascinating because like we've talked about her before. Cause we did an episode on the door on the floor when she was like really little seven but, years old or something yeah. like that. And it's just like, and so when that performance is just very naturalistic and very sort of like small and low key, you're just like, well, yeah, she's seven, but also like knowing that her sister is Dakota Fanning, who is, the absolute exact opposite of that where it's just like she's so incredibly self-possessed and she's so um uh, sort of like straightforward with putting the character out there like she's an actress right Mm -hmm. and i mean elle fanning i think is a really great actress too but it's such a different style that it's sometimes amazing that they're sisters and they have just like completely separate different approaches yeah it's a very much like a beyonce and solange situation yes that's a really good point um but she's so incredibly good and effective in this movie and just like these small little parts watching her make those eggs benedict and just like that really like small little like look i wanted the mac and cheese of like self-sufficiency and self and and satisfaction on her face yeah god the eggs benedict scene is like that's like one of those things not to be one of these people that's like oh my god these weird scenes in movies make me emotional (laughs) like that (laughs) you know what i mean though like i feel like that's something that i would have thought like when i was 12 being like wow i'm one of those people where like when meryl streep cracks the egg in the hours yep. <laughs> like that to me is more impactful than her crying meryl but... streep separating yolks in that movie is like maybe <laughs> one of my top two or three scenes in that movie truly yeah. i just but... want to be that yolk yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the eggs benedict was just like it was such a well done scene i mean another example actually i was thinking about this um this morning like with um you know steven dorf's friend sammy that he he's always hanging out with she could have so easily placed a scene of like them doing coke in front of yep. her that would have like cheapened the whole thing, but she chose mm-hmm. not to do that, you know. Even watching it again, knowing what happens in this movie, I'm watching those scenes and I'm just like, don't let them be lewd to her or anything like that. Like, don't like have yeah, him leer yeah. at her or something like that. Because A, it's also like the guy is from Jackass, right? Like he's one of the guys from Jackass. Yeah, Chris Pontius. Right. right. And 
I'm watching the movie and I literally made a note of just like, Johnny, don't make her hang out with you and your dumb friend. Like that's such yeah. a like, I feel like that's almost, that's such a like a, and I wouldn't know specifically, but like, it feels like such a single dad move where it's just mm-hmm. like, you've got your daughter and you don't really know how to entertain for her. So it's just like, oh, you're just going to invite your friend over to play video games. And it's just like, oh, because right. she's 11 years old and they are functionally 11 years old too. So it's like, of course they get along just great. They play fucking guitar hero or whatever. Well, and it feels like he's outsourcing the job of having fun with his daughter to his friend yeah. who seems like much more uh, uh, easily like has a much easier rapport with her. And Johnny is a little bit more awkward for like a lot of reasons where like, you know, you understand he's got a lot of residual guilt about yeah. his lifestyle and his, and his, the, you know, the marriage breaking up if they were ever even married, maybe they weren't ever even married. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of like he's, he's, he's not a bad dad, but he's like, he just doesn't have his shit together to such a degree that it's this just is like one of the things that I'm like, this is uh, Sophia Coppola absolutely deserves so much credit for casting Elle Fanning in this movie, because like, uh, as, as is true of Elle and the full sisters Fanning LLC, um, <laughs> they like, they, ha- they're known for having this like air of maturity beyond their years. Or it's like been a joke where it's like, they're, eight years old and they seem like a 30 year old woman you know there's something about that that feels intentional in the casting of Elle Fanning where it's like she shows up on screen with Stephen Dorff and kind of like immediately exposes him in his immaturity and his inability to be a father that was you know just interesting just like putting those two performers together yeah yeah Watching the the first big scene with her when she goes to her ice skating practice, where we get to really just, and again, Coppola just lets the scene play out so, like intentionally, like it, it feels like it's not quite a fuck you because I don't think there's a fuck you energy to Sofia Coppola, but there is this energy of just like yes, I'm going to have this entire song play from start to finish. Yes. Gwen, uh, Gwen Stefani's cool, and we're gonna see this entire practice and you're going to see it from a distance and Johnny's going to be like fucking around on his phone because he's like too whatever to pay attention and then all of a sudden he'll like slowly you know start paying attention to how like you know gorgeous and accomplished and like I think one of the things that we can see through his eyes with her is like oh she's really dedicated to like whatever whatever he's lost in his ability to not enjoy like his career anymore she has that. She has the love of skating. She has the love of all her little hobbies. She seems like really interested in like, even like the mm-hmm. eggs Benedict thing. Like she's, you know, her self-sufficiency brings her satisfaction. And I think he's sort of looking at that with a little bit of like, Oh, you know, wistfulness and whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, she managed, I mean, again, it's like, it's the subtlety of like, she is a precocious child, but she is not a movie precocious. Like there is right. never a part where yeah. she's like, you know, you really need to take control of your life. Like there is never a part where she suddenly starts speaking like an adult. Like she is. A she kid. doesn't become Chloe Grace Moretz at any exactly. point in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. And wait, I, I also wanted to say in terms of like what you're saying in terms of her, like letting the song play from beginning to end, what's was so interesting and, um, about that is that then there are other scenes that you would think in a different movie have so much meat to them like for instance the the press conference scene where there are all those like funny questions from the various international reporters or like the italian award show 
those are then kind of cut short. Like she doesn't yes. let you have too much fun. It's like mm-hmm. there are little she, right. she will let the kind of like the ice skating scene or the scene of the car just going around in circles. Those yeah. will go on, quote unquote, too long. And then the scenes where you're like, oh, finally, kind of like the slapstick humor is here. Like those will then end prematurely. Or like any of his hookups are shown exactly. so briefly and so like mm-hmm. once you once you, the audience gets to the point where they know what's going on, she's like, okay, well you get it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like Eliza yeah. Coop is just yeah. sort of like leering at him in the doorway of the uh, mm-hmm. whatever adjacent room, and you know you, all you see is like the bedboard, the headboard like banging against the wall a yeah. couple times, but that's all really you need to see. Um, the biggest laugh I had in this movie was the second striptease scene where yes. the first one you get again the entire song of Foo Fighters My Hero like front to back and it's just them doing this like and it's not even a sad striptease it's not titillating and it's not sad it's just it just is it's just middle of the road yeah. kind of dull whatever but then the second time and you realize that she's showing it again and I was just like I had to I just had to laugh. I thought it was so funny because I'm imagining any audience whose patience was tested by that first scene. I'm just imagining them getting to this one. And she's like, oh, she's fucking doing it again. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I want to talk about Sofia Coppola's music sense because the second scene after it was Foo Fighters Hero, the second time it is one thing by By Amory. Yeah. (laughs) One of the best songs of all time. Of all time, um, truly. <laughs> but, like, the soundtrack to this movie is incredible. It's yeah. so specific not just to, like, the world she's painting and, like, the place in time and, like, the late aughts, but also just, like, the emotional texture of what's going on and the way she, like, pre- can present something like Hero by the Foo Fighters or Amory. And it's, like, you can't really get into like the thrust of that song because what the scene is doing like right. the, i guess the contrast between the scene and the song that it's being put in and like obviously like her biggest like musical like the thing that we talk about is um probably marie antoinette right but like every single one of her movies yep obviously with the exception of the beguiled because of when it is set has like a really incredible musical oh like, her musical sensibility in Lost in Translation, in there's so many music cues in the version Suicides that are just absolutely iconic. Like you know the the heart music cue, mm-hmm. the just anytime that Josh Hartnett's on the screen, like she really, she's one of those soundtrack filmmakers that like on one level like, you can just be like, oh yeah, you're like you're just indulging in the music you really like. I think the fact that somewhere is bookended with Phoenix songs, I was just like, oh. Sophia, well, also, I didn't realize the score is by Phoenix until that was like the big reveal yeah. at the end when the credits started mm-hmm. rolling. Yeah. But also another great music choice was, oh, now I'm re- not remembering, but the, there's a Gwen Stefani song during the ice skating uh, scene. Yeah. Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is yeah. such a coolest, such a I don't know. It's like the so- the fun song you would choose for ice skating when you're like allowed to choose a contemporary song. If you're it's also a the girl. Sophia Coppola ist of Gwen Stefani yes, songs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, to like the indulgence of it like i don't actually read her musical choices as indulgent because they're not the choices that you would expect to be made but they are exactly the right decision yeah, like, I, yeah. using azalea banks in the bling ring um yep it, brilliant brilliant yeah it's really good sophia sophia coppola's career is even more interesting than i think i i think everybody sort of like recognizes the fact of 
her career being kind of fascinating because she started off obviously um she's francis ford coppola's daughter but she was in a bunch of his movies when she was little and then she got this like second lead essentially in the godfather part three which was like such an anticipated movie such a big hollywood deal and it's a bad performance like it is a bad it's one of those things where you want to go back and watch it and just be like it's not as bad as people say mm-hmm. like it is like it's it's bad she's not an actress she's just yeah she's, she's not well it's funny i was like looking at her wikipedia earlier and, and when it's under awards i mean this is so rude to her but under awards it literally says the first award she ever won was a razi for her yep. performance in the godfather part three Dad? why are you doing this to me oh. i i mean i find some of her moments in Godfather Part Three, funny to the point of me being delighted by them. Like her, like it's, it's no spoiler to say that she gets killed at the end of Godfather Part Three. It was in 1990 for Pete's sake. Um, but like, <laughs> I always think of that. She gets shot and she just sort of like drops. She just looks at Pacino and she just goes, "Dad," and like, and it's like the Californiaest <laughs> accent you've ever yeah. heard in your entire <laughs> life. And but the fact that that movie, it's not her fault that that movie decided to hang so much of its narrative on whether goddamn Mary decides to get into a relationship with her cousin, Andy Garcia. Like, it's just like, that's, you know, she didn't write it, whatever. And so yeah, yeah. to have Remind her... me what the Winona writerness of that story is, because wasn't it originally supposed to be Winona or something and she dropped out? Winona was supposed to play the part that Bridget Fonda ended up playing, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, never mind. I don't think, I don't know if there's any could-have-beens in terms of Mary, but I'm pretty sure that that was the thing, that Winona was supposed to play the Bridget Fonda role, which is pretty minor as it is anyway. So, um, I think... Although now I want to see Winona Ryder in a Sofia Coppola movie. Like, I would oh, love that. Yeah. Or like maybe that's one of those like time machine things where I want to see like 1994 Winona Ryder in a present day Sofia mm-hmm. Coppola movie. Like I feel like that's the ideal. Um, but her sort of comeback as a director, I remember when The Virgin Suicides came out, there was a lot of incredulity, of course, because it's just like mm-hmm. she was such like her name was so infamous among like movie circles. And People, I think it took a second for people to come around to the fact that, like, oh, the version Suicides is actually really, really promising. And it never quite made it into, <clears throat> excuse me, it never quite made it into awards discussion. But it was sort of on the fringes for a while, I remember. Mm-hmm. And it took a whole damn year for the movie to actually open after it played uh, one of the sidebars in Cannes, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that sounds like about it opened right. a whole year later. And then Lost in Translation was one of those movies that started building buzz early in that year. And I think that, like, whatever campaign Focus decided to do for it was just, like, absolutely perfectly calibrated. And it capitalized on her narrative and Murray's narrative. And But it's also such a... Like, that was the movie of hers that obviously I thought of most watching Somewhere. Because Somewhere feels like not even an evolution of Lost in Translation, but maybe, like, the other side of a coin. Like, mm-hmm. you can tell that those are probably the the two movies of hers that draw most from her own experience. Yeah, and they're the two that are most kind of, like, mood pieces, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or is that the right term? I just, I, I remember, like, Lost in Translation, I had read in some review that, like, it captures the feeling of jet lag in a way. Like, yeah. And, and I feel like with Somewhere, it's like, I mean... This is oversimplifying it, but it almost it's like it captures the feeling of like a hangover at times or the feeling of like a you know, it, it's all it's very dreamlike and very um right. 
and, and and of all her movies, those are probably the ones with the least plot. Yeah. 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 I, be, think, I, I don't I, know. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I think because I think the, those are movies where like the premise kind of is the plot. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And and Lost in Translation is a little plottier because we have this relationship she forms with with Murray's character, and there's a little bit of a of a will they or won't they kind of a sense to it as it goes along, and they have this kind of like you know one night out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think but with both of those movies, and I think it speaks to sort of the knock on Coppola for being sort of insular and privileged in her scope of things. But like both of those movies. You're you're not going to find too many people in your audience who like know the experience of living out of a hotel to that degree, right? right? Mm-hmm. To the degree that like both of the uh, Scarlet's character in Lost in Translation and Dorf's character in this, but she still manages to communicate more universal feelings from those specific situations where it's like, I don't know mm-hmm. what it's like to be living out of the Chateau Marmont, but like, I know what it's like to feel like a drift in my like life and career to a point where like, you know, I'm feeling lost like this guy. Yeah. Is. Or, mm-hmm. or to kind of have an imperfect relationship with a friend or family member or to, to, to know that you have shortcomings and, yet persist <laughs> you know, I, yeah, yeah it's or to be in like a transitional period and not really have the full awareness that it's a transitional period um, mm-hmm. yeah or feel the power to like push it in one direction or another this movie played the venice film festival and ended up winning the golden lion at the venice film festival not and uncontroversial. I was going to say, that's the the really interesting, it's probably the most interesting awards angle of this movie is everything that happened with Venice that year. Quentin Tarantino was the president of the jury. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was on that jury. I think Luca Guadagnino was on that movie, or was on that jury, and... Danny Elfman. Right, Danny Elfman. Oh, wow. trying to think oh Ariaga. Of. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so Tarantino had dated... Coppola briefly at some point in their like whatever previous to 2010 and so there was a lot of there was a lot of dissatisfaction anytime Quentin Tarantino heads a jury for something there's some kind of thing he was the can jury president when uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 won the Palme d'Or at Cannes but so there was a lot of controversy in the aftermath of that Venice Film Festival one of the things was um, oh he's only giving awards to his friends Coppola wins the Golden Lion this other director friend of his won I think second place. And then he like changed the rules of the Venice film festival so that movies could win two prizes so that this friend of his could win two prizes for his film. And um, this film that like had Vincent Gallo in it or something like that. And just like, God damn it. Like any, <laughs> the things I would be rather be doing than watching a Vincent Gallo movie at any point. Yeah. Promises written in water. I think it, that's what it is. is that, I'm, I'm literally it. like looking up the, no, because I remember that I don't I, I'm very much not as knowledgeable about the festival stuff as you guys are. But I remember there was a Greek movie called Attenberg that was a big deal mm, this yes. year. And it mm-hmm. was kind of like a big post dogtooth, like the next kind of weird Greek movie that people really liked. I think that was one of the movies that um, or maybe that did win a prize. Now I'm looking it up, too. Sorry, I had the window it open. It stars and... um, Yorgos Lanthimos' partner. Yorgos Lanthimos is in this movie, stark naked. Yeah, yeah. Ariane uh, Labed won Best Actress at the There festival. you go. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking Gallo won um, <laughs> uh, for Best Actor for a movie called Essential Killing, which I think 
Um, oh, no, that wasn't even. He also Gallo's in like um, one movie and then directed another movie at this festival. Um, the one that Tarantino's friend directed is called A Sad Trumpet Ballad. So that one for clown movie right screenplay and director yeah alex de la iglesia one for that that year like mila kunis one for uh emerging actor for Mm. black swan which at the time a lot of people thought was bullshitty i think now looks better i think um i think we've all sort of like come around to the fact that like mila kunis is really fucking great in black swan yes um but i think one of the big controversies was the italian press really went nuts because no Italian movie got any prizes. And like the Italian cultural minister came in and like uh, brought up a whole, like we're going to have to change the rules about who can be on juries and, and yeah. all this sort of stuff. And Well, that's especially funny because she literally has that whole sequence where she like lampoons Italian show business. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know that. All right. That whole scene in the movie where he goes to that award ceremony i guess right in milan uh is wild but also it's just like kind of savage when it comes to the silliness of like the life of being an international movie star but so like eventually like berlusconi like weighed in on the venice film festival that year it was a whole <laughs> fucking thing and so that i think kind of it didn't like taint the movie exactly but it does give you the sense of just like well it won the Venice Film Festival Prize, but there was, you know, Quentin Tarantino bullshittiness or whatever. But if you look at the lineup for that Venice Film Festival, it's not a bad lineup necessarily, but there's nothing on there where it's just like, oh, the, you know, the forever taint on this festival that such and such didn't win. Like Black Swans at that festival, which I think is great. Meek's Mm -hmm. Cutoff by Kelly Reichert is at that festival, which I think is great. But like, I don't know, there's a Pablo Lorraine there, but, like, there's a Francois Ozone movie there that, like, wasn't really reviewed super well. There's a Julian Schnabel movie there that, like, was kind of Bad under reviews. the radar. And yeah. so it's, like, I this idea that somewhere kind of, like, got away with something by winning at Venice that year is, I think, a little overblown. It is a little surprising to me, though, that it wins, like, a top prize because the movie is so low-key. Yes, um, so, like, you can understand how it would maybe catch the attentions of Tarantino more, because it's directed by his friend, but it's not the type of movie that wins a major prize like this at a festival. I think that's right, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that makes it, ba- like, a bad uh, development. And I know you don't Oh, think no, I either. agree. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, you could see where that would, like, raise eyebrows, but it also feels like... Where, and I think this is something that she's encountered a lot in her career. And obviously, her being Francis Ford Coppola's daughter gave her a leg up in her career that not mm-hmm. anybody else really has. And that's been a huge privilege and advantage to her. But also, so many times in her career where it's stuff like this, where it's just like, oh, she only won Venice because she used to date the jury president. And she only became such and such because she's Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. And I think it's an easy way to dismiss her accomplishments as a director to be like and and it even goes to the fact of like oh she only makes movies about like poor little rich girls which up until somewhere most i think all of her protagonists had been uh female and and even this it's just like well you know steven dorf is also kind of a poor little rich girl in this movie right (laughs) and but it's just like it's a there i think there are very valid criticisms of her the fact that Sofia Coppola makes movies about 
privileged rich people sort of locked in their little towers and whatever but i also feel like i don't i think it's worth saying though that it to just say that that's just what she's making movies about and that's what her perspective is it kind of it, it shouldn't be disregarded that she is interrogating a lot of those things she's yes like talking about the vacuousness of it she's she's making movies about a very specific world because maybe that is her experience but also she's not just saying in any way that it's like great or that it's not worth you know examining further you know yeah, I, and and also all of them. I mean, when you read, if you don't come in with a preconceived notion of who this person is, if you read the synopsis of any of her movies, and and go into it thinking, okay, this is a Hollywood movie about X Y Z, it's always unexpected. It's not. I I don't think she's as predictable as people make her out to be. I and think I, that's right. Yeah, I I don't know. I, it's tough because. You don't want to, like, I. my instinct is to defend her, recognizing all this, you know, all, all this stuff we're talking about. I do think on some level it's like, do I, yes, a lot of her movies are about privileged white girls. Do I actually want her to attempt to make, you right. know, uh, right. a movie about poor uh, non-white people? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, it, it reminds me also of the one scene in Lost in Translation that gets a lot of criticism, which is, the uh the scene where he's the the rip my stocking scene with uh the um, i guess what is she she's some sort of sex worker worker. of some kind um and it i was reminded of that in the uh massage scene in this movie where it's just like she does have a tendency Mm -hmm. every once in a while to just sort of just like to default to the easy sort of based on uh not even stereotypes, but just sort of just like this very kind of easy joke. And the easy joke in somewhere is, oh, Johnny's so repulsed at the idea of this like like naked yes. massage therapist who like gets the wrong idea about. But also, <laughs> it's, it's and also weird... that massage therapist is so weird. Yes. Well, that's the other thing is like, and then it like almost like shortcuts out of that scene where it's just like, oh, he's not like a rub and tugs massage therapist. He just has a weird philosophy of like, I have to be naked, but it didn't even seem like he was going to like jerk him off or anything like that. Right. It was just sort of this like misunderstanding, like weird, like three's company at the Chateau Marmont. The way that it's shot does make it seem a little, if not nefarious, definitely like punchy when he like drops his shorts and yeah. But it's like the fact that like that's the most animated we ever see Johnny Marco in that movie is also like kind of weird. But it's to me, I'm mostly I was just like, oh, this is a like oddly cheap joke for a movie that didn't really have that kind of humor for the rest of it. I don't know. It yeah, was... there is another mm-hmm. quip about like uh, something about like Afro Caribbean dance versus ballet. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like that also was like so out of nowhere, but I have to say like, I don't know. You forget just how much subtle things like that have changed. Even just in 10 years, weirdly coincidentally, easy a was on TV last night and I watched like two thirds of it. And, and there were even a couple, and that came out the same exact year. It came out in 2010. That's why I thought of it. Yeah. And like, there were even a couple of jokes there in a movie. I, generally consider to be pretty inoffensive where i was like oh right we used to make just like you know movies used to have these like weird semi-ironic race or sexuality related jokes that are not you know blatantly offensive but just kind of were peppered in for flavor bring it on was Mm -hmm. on right after the drag race finale this week and 
that's 10 years even earlier than this. And that movie, watching it again, I'm like, oh, I like this movie had kind of a lot of like just little moments that if this was, you know, happening today probably would have been like combed out and just sort mm-hmm. of, you know, tweaked and, you know, maybe go back and rethink a couple of these jokes or a couple of these like just like real kind of free wheel and with throwing the word bag around or yeah sort of just yeah. like we're making these kind of jokes and it's not like i think that bring it on is bad at all i think bring it on is fantastic but it, yeah. it has ultimately good politics <laughs> yes yeah. I, I, like way better politics than most movies of its kind back then like actually actively resists being a white savior movie even as right. you can see the narrative like tr- trying to push it towards that way and it pushes back it's kind of cool in that way although i also get the feeling that and you, if you ever watch the Bring It On trailer, you really can see that, like, oh, there's a lot more about the Clovers in this script, probably, that got kind of edited out and mm-hmm. streamlined in a way. So, I don't know. Justice for the Bring It On director. Yeah. Um, release <laughs> release the Clovers cut of Bring It On uh, HBO Max. But, um, God, I really took us far afield, didn't I? Backtracking, backtracking. Oh, the Chateau Marmont. I wanted to talk about the Chateau Marmont. Um, obviously it's annoying to say that whatever a setting is a character in a movie. Right, right, right. Coppola really, without being like, let me take you on a virtual tour of the Chateau Marmont. Like it never quite becomes to the level of like what Versailles is for, um, Marie Antoinette. And yet Mm -hmm. all these little moments, I'm always just like, God, what a nightmare the Chateau Marmont sounds like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? It looks like just a bunch of shitty apartments. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it does. And just the fact that, like... And, I mean, maybe that's intentional, but, like, it was like, what? what, what uh, why? Or just the thing where, like, he's, like, pigging out on some, like, gross little meal in the middle of the, uh, like, whatever gathering area in the middle as, like, all these, like, fancy schmance people are, like, gathering for drinks or whatever. And he's there with his, like, dumb wrist cast and, like, and just, like, making himself at home looking like a slob or whatever. I'm just, like, the the mishmash of the kinds of people who seem to congregate at the Chateau Marmont like I would know because I've never fucking they'd never let me within whatever two miles of that place but (laughs) um I don't know it's just like she does a really good job of setting the scene in a way that you just like you get you if you've never even like heard of the Chateau Marmont or like knew what like the vibe of that place was you would get Mm -hmm. it watching this movie yeah, and it's always just mm-hmm. enough. Like, she doesn't hit you over the head with it. Like, there's just one scene where, like, a young actor... Like, I mean, two things that stick out are the young actor being like, do you have any tips for acting? Or, like, asking fucking... Alden asking Stephen Dorff, oh do you do method yeah. acting? Alden Ehrenreich, then, who is not credited, yeah. by the way. I watched the end credits, and he is not there. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, Benicio Del Toro just being like, oh, yeah, I met Bono. Like... It... <laughs> <laughs> Like a different director. I'm just, this is obviously such a different person, but imagine like Judd Apatow having the task of showing you the depravity of the Chateau Marmont. Like it would just, I mean, just with that one elevator scene, that's all she needed Benicio Del Toro for. I love that it was Benicio Del Toro in an elevator too, which almost seemed like inside jokey because do you ever remember hearing that story and making out with Scarlett Johansson in an elevator? Yes. Yep. After the, whatever the Oh three Oscars. And yeah, which is like Scarlett was at that Oscars because of lost in translation. And he was nominated for 21 Mm -hmm. grams that year. But yes, I remember hearing that story. I can't believe somebody else did Chris. That's amazing. Uh, I will never forget that. Yeah, Benicio. Always looking like a nightmare. Never stop. Truly. Never stop truly. Yeah. <laughs> Do any of you have any kind of, like, feelings about Stephen Dorff as, like, 
apart from this movie? Was he like an actor who like you guys like? I mean, listen, Steve Dorff for me is the every time video. Okay, that's oh. what I was going to bring up. He's in like two iconic music videos. He's in the Aerosmith Cryon video with mm-hmm. um, Alicia Silverstone, which was like, uh, you know, huge for its moment. And then, yes, he's the guy in the Britney Spears Every Time video. And for me, Stephen Dorff is bla- in the Blade, he's Blade movie, not movies. He's just in the first one, right? He's the villain in Blade. Yeah. Blade kind of is amazing. Yes, <laughs> it is. I think that's um, totally right. His career, though, is so fascinating because I think when you looking at somewhere through an Oscar lens or an awards lens, you get the sense that this is the kind of performance that for an actor with any kind of history um, yeah. mm-hmm. would have been like a comeback story or like would yes. have been a really good narrative. And it kind of was a comeback movie for Steven Dorf, but he had never gotten to the point in his career where anybody would have given a shit, right? Where it's like... Yeah, like, he... I actually... I would argue that he is one of the reasons that, like, this movie didn't get as much traction with Oscar for that kind of particular reason, because I don't want to be so cruel as to say, like, no one cares that he gives this great performance in this movie. That's kind of antithetical to what a lot of his, like, screen work has been. But, I mean, like, who was rushing out to reward... Stephen Dorff for something like yeah. this. No, know, it's, it's so sad. And he needs, I mean, he needs it more than any yes, other person right, that exactly. they could have cast. Right. Like, Bill Murray yeah. was fine in 2003. Like, his career was going to be fine whether he got an Oscar nomination or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like somebody with a whole lot of, you know, storied history like uh, that Oscar has, like, nominated, like a Mickey Rourke or something. Exactly. Like that. I, right. I immediately um, thought of Mickey Rourke, yeah. Right, because Mickey Rourke had those like famous lows. So it's like you're coming back mm-hmm. from really like bottoming out. And it's like Dorf has occupied this really middle level of like semi anonymity, but like he's an actor whose name you knew. You know what I mean? It's like you mm-hmm. knew that like you knew him by name, at least people you know who follow movies like we Yeah. Do. Um, Isn't that weird and though? He's like also I'm just playing an yeah. actor yeah. like a Stephen yeah. Dorf. Why yeah, movie. why why do I feel like I like oh Stephen Dorf is like a thing and it's just like why though? Like yes, right. I'm looking played. at his list of movies. I'm looking at his filmography. I literally haven't seen any of these movies, and yet I know, and yet I know him so right. well as though like because well, of Blade, baby. I saw yeah, Cecil B. Demented. Like, Cecil B. Demented is a really weird lead role for him, where he plays the title true, character. But like that's such a like it's such a John Waters movie that like John Waters is the star of Cecil B. Demented, right? It's just yeah. Like, yeah, John Waters is going to be the star of any John Waters movie. Um, well, also Melanie Griffith. To me, it's like I yeah. actually. It's funny that you say that because I, I'm now. Oh, I guess I remember him. But to me, that's Melanie Griffith. Of course. Like, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anybody who was interested enough to see Cecil be demented, it's going to be Melanie Griffith for them, too. Like, it's yeah. the only other one that I really remember him in. And, like, I don't think anybody else saw this movie. He was in a movie called Cold Creek Manor in 2003 with Sharon Stone. Yes. And it's very much like a um, family moves into this, like, very, like, nice little house in the country and are terrorized by, like, locals. And he's one of the locals who terrorizes them. But he's so fucking ripped in that movie. And, like, it's one of those things where it's a little, like, 
Billy Zane in, in Dead Calm, where it's just like, oh, he's so villainous, but like, very sexy, what's going on? And of course, the thing about Steven Dorff that they actually do make fun of in Somewhere is that like, he's a little guy. He's like, he's a short little guy. Yeah, and yeah, he is. So it's so funny watching him in Cold Creek Manor, like sort of like sexually like menace um, Sharon Stone. And it's just like where uh, he's just like got his shirt off and he's just like looks amazing. But it's also like it's not hiding the fact that he's a wee little guy. And it's he's a little wee baby. Yeah. See, I was going to say the only other Stephen Dorff movie I remember him from is um, Fear.com. You saw Fear.com. OK. <laughs> Which is like l- late era like the type of horror movie like the dark castle yeah. movies where it was like yeah. ghost ship 13 ghosts 13 and it's ghosts also yes like absolutely late era like type of movies where the internet was the plot like the yeah. whole but they turned it into a horror whatever fear.com it's absolutely terrible but he's the lead in that movie the, the other thing about steven dorf is he's usually maybe at most fourth build in the things that he's in unless they're just like schlock right he's been the thing about him though is that like he'll be the lead in just movies that like nobody ever like sees or cares about the most ironic thing about his career is that his big sort of breakthrough movie was a movie called backbeat in like 94 around where he it's like it's the story of the beatles and he plays the guy who was in the Beatles and then got left out when they became like big stars or whatever. And it's just like, Oh wow. That's such a parallel to what his career actually became. Where it was just like, this was supposed to be this big breakthrough movie for him. Um, Cheryl Lee's also in that movie and a couple other people, but like that, that was supposed to launch him. And then his career just sort of like sort of gets away from him. And it never happens for him. It's, it's a weird thing. Well, he was also in a Limp Biscuit music video. Sure. Sure. So the three he was in were Crying, <laughs> then a, a one called Rollin' uh, by Limp Biscuit, where he plays himself, apparently, and then oh, Every boy. Time. And in Crying sure. and Every Time, his role is Boyfriend, and in Rolling, it's himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every Time, he's supposed to be Justin Timberlake, right? Sort of. I don't think, well. Or is that not it? Is that, I don't she, think so. Yeah. Cause, cause it's, cause he, it, I think it's like a fictionalized, it's a, it's a fictionalized thing where like Brittany is with some kind of like abusive boyfriend. I don't think she's like accusing Justin Timberlake of being oh, okay. violent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't, I guess I don't know that video as well as I think I know. Oh, it's like it, that. I have to say, I would highly recommend revisiting it. He, he, he gives a very unhinged performance. And then there's like the reveal at the end that Brittany is like, in a bathtub and finds blood behind her head and she's been dead the whole time. That's the part I remember it. Uh, yeah. I remember about that because I remember there being like a whole thing of just like, is this a cry for help? Which like everything Britney's yeah. done from like 2002 yeah. on has been, is this a cry for help? Um, we should, I don't think any of us watch this, but we should also mention that he was in the, the third season of true detective. And I think he might've been like lead or co-lead in that season. I think it was him. And Herschel. Yeah. Hmm. Um, which I remember people being like, because the arc of True Detective was much like sensation in the first season. Everybody despised the second season, and then I think there was a little bit of like that bounce for season three, mm-hmm. but like hardly anybody watched it. So, who was to say? Oh, Dorf. Indeed. Poor Dorf. Also, that name just sounds like kind of sad. It's just like Stephen Dorf. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Poor guy. And he kind of looks like, oh God, what's his name? Josh Lucas. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Josh Lucas. Like I kept when we were thinking of movies he's been in, I kept wanting to say Josh Lucas movies. I was like Poseidon, but no. (laughs) That's funny. Wait, just little spoiler. None of us picked him for our IMDb game, right? No. Okay, then I want to look like let's. I want to look at his known for because I want to see if it's any Blade. Obviously, somewhere yes. Um, a movie called Immortals that I think I saw, which was about... Oh, like, I saw that. It's a Tarsum Singh movie. Yes, it's about uh, Greek gods on Olympus or whatever, right? Yes. God, wow. this cast. Or Henry Cavill. Yeah, Henry Cavill, <laughs> Mickey Rourke, Stephen Dorff, Frida Pinto, Luke Evans, John Hurt. Wow. It's terrible. Yeah, I remember it being terrible. Kellen Lutz as Poseidon. Really, who who did not need... Helen Lutz as Poseidon. You know, maybe this is just my own kind of uh, Greek heritage because I grew up with so much like ancient Greek imagery in every like picture book that we own. But like, there is to me nothing more embarrassing than seeing Hollywood actors decked out as (laughs) anything resembling like ancient Greeks or like Greek god. Like, and there's a lot of when you look at there's so (laughs) many. I mean, when you even just something as simple as um you know alexander with colin farrell every frame of that movie is so humiliating yeah <laughs> and is i understand that it has like a camp episode. element and i understand you know like that i can get enjoyment out of it but it's just like it's it's too much my favorite thing about anytime anybody makes a movie about ancient greeks is it's like americans have this thing of just like we have this bucket of like three or four things we know about like every culture and it's the only things we know about any culture and like the in that bucket for like what we know about ancient greece is like that's the one ancient culture where like being gay was like canon kind of right and so it gives this like free pass for every single movie that's made about ancient greeks there's just like gayness cranked up to 11 like no matter what's going on and it's just like and everybody's sort of like all the photography is very much like lingering on the men's bodies and whatever mm-hmm. and it's like gayness yeah. cranked up to 11 but nobody's fucking right exactly that's exactly right exactly it's just like the imagery is very gay but like even in like alexander where like a lot of the gayness was like in the director's cut and not the real part yeah and it's just like yeah it was in jared leto's gaze oh yeah. boy well that's yeah. kind of i know this is like anathema to say but that's kind of why i don't mind 300 because it truly just cranks it up so much that you're like okay this is what everyone wants to do just do it right right but at some point like we just have to make the movie where it's just like it's just a thousand greeks on screen and they're all fucking like just yes. just like get it out of your system yeah for real human centipede for <laughs> oh god greeks fucking yeah yeah the chain of fucking greeks yeah can we also say a little bit for like what this best actor race was it was yeah, like Steven Dorf didn't really stand a chance because it's everybody doing like huge things where the most subtle performance you probably have is James Franco, dear Christ. Colin Firth wins for The King's Speech, James Franco for 127 Hours, Javier Bardem for Beautiful, Jesse Eisenberg, Social Network, Jeff Bridges, True Grit. Like that's not a lot of room for somebody doing the type of subtlety that Stephen Dorff is doing. No, I think God, that's but right. it is such a more compelling performance than most of those, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. It really, I mean, it twenty ten is so specific, like particular yeah. because that's one of those. Anytime anybody ever talks about how Oscars never nominate movies that make money anymore, I always like point to the twenty ten Best Picture race where like everything was a blockbuster and they're not even like. Like, movies made money that you wouldn't think would make money, like The Fighter or, you know, 
social Black networks Swan, and stuff like that. Black over Swan, making dollars. Right, exactly. And also, that year's Best Actress field is one of my favorites in my lifetime, mm-hmm. maybe ever, where it's Portman for Black Swan, Benning yeah. for Kids Are All Right, Kidman for Rabbit Hole, Jennifer Lawrence for Winter's Bone, Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine. It's such a good lineup. And then you look at Best Actor, and you're just like, oh, yeah. like some It of really is. It really could have. I'm there. I'm looking at it now again. It's like this might be one of the least compelling best actor races in for me personally in the last like 20 years. And I, I just, genuinely generally think best actor is like almost always so much less impressive. Oh, anyway. of course, of course. But this like, one specifically. Yeah, I would should say. But also, and having said that, so I don't know. I haven't like, either. Maybe I would love beautiful. It's like, a yeah. lot of like I I I don't know. I I don't like Inurito's movies that are like this. That it's just like it's a lot of despair and grimness and sobbing. That was and... peak Inurito fatigue too. Where yeah, like that was sort of the that was when everybody was just like, I can't go through another Babel. I just really can't. And then <laughs> Bardem was like the underdog in that category. This was when like I think it was Julia Roberts was hosting like private screenings of the movie to get him nominated. Like, yeah, the, it was a lot of like homegrown support among like the actors branch. Javier Bardem is maybe one of the like more underrated Oscar campaigners of our era. We're like, he'll work it and he will. And other people will work it on his behalf. As you mentioned right there, he almost got the nomination for Skyfall, which would have been like kind of shocking and amazing, but yeah. I had forgotten about Jackie Weaver and animal kingdom being nominated. That that's a a great nomination. nomination. Yeah. That's one of those really great ones where it's just like, it'll never happen. And then it does. Yeah. It's yeah. Like super cool. Yeah. No, I love the 2010 Oscars. I just, uh, that's why I'm kind of, I mean, whatever, like this Oscars is going to be bug nuts anyway. So who knows? But like, I'm excited about going back to 10 best pictures rather than this like fluctuating thing, because like it did get them to nominate winter's bone. And I know a lot of people in Hollywood kind of like freaked out about that because it was so small and nobody saw it and whatever, but it's just like, you know, stretch your boundaries a little bit, Oscars. Like, mm-hmm. this is, it's good yeah. for you. It's good for you. To no, I that. agree. I agree. This is a good list. I, it is. I have to say, sorry, I know this is an obvious thing, but I'm looking at Inception. I'm like, I forgot that was a serious Oscar. Like, yep. Yep. I don't know. I just, you don't think and of it, it as something that was. so many people yeah. for Christopher Nolan to not be nominated for best director for that yeah. movie. I mean, I watched that movie semi-recently when we thought that Tenet would be coming out anytime before 2022. Um that is a goo- like I like that movie a lot. That movie is very goofy. Mm-hmm. It is very silly. Um, just like I can't imagine having to learn the lines where they explain the logic of that yeah. movie and all of these Nolan terms that are just like I love it though. I'm sorry. It, I no, mean, it's I great. Do it's enjoy great. watching that movie, but like just sit back in the scenes where they explain the movie. Oh, and it's totally. so silly. But I love that shit, though. I love where it's just like, all right, and then th- level three, and we all have to tip back in our chairs to enter level three, and then this one, we're going to drive off a bridge. And no, I love all that shit. But like, remember how much people argued about that movie that year where it was just like arguing not about like, like about like minute things and whether it was just like, it like held together internally or whatever. And it's just like, guys, like just, well, same it. with interstellar. Like there was the yes. same thing. Yeah. But like, I feel like, like, and I guess, I mean, Nolan kind of asks for it by making these sort of like intricate little things and just sort of stepping back and being like, ah, eh? that has such a boner for like process, mm-hmm. but 
I also feel like the people who are just like like nitpicking the plots of Interstellar and Inception, and I'm just like, guys, like, see, I'm not nitpicking. No, I don't the, think you are the plot of Inception. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's banana coconuts. It is. is yes, what I'm saying. It is. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, it makes me chuckle. Uh, back to somewhere for a second, though. The one thing I wanted to talk about briefly is the fact that, like, I think and somewhere's not a poorly reviewed movie like it's a well-reviewed movie although maybe not like enthusiastically so yeah and it's box office kind of like you know cut it off at the ankles like 1.7 million dollars domestic you're Mm -hmm. never going to get anything from that but i also feel like even if it was like reviewed sparklingly and even if it made like a surprising amount of money for an indie movie i still feel like you're gonna walk away with you're gonna have a harder sell with something like somewhere because there's almost no way, and I think we saw it with the Venice jury, there's almost no way for anybody in Hollywood to praise a movie like Somewhere and not look like they've traveled completely up their own asshole. Mm-hmm. Because it's I so insidery. Like, this is also like a very simple thing too, but it, I mean, you saw it with 20th Century Women, you saw it with Clemency, where it's like, it was released at exactly the wrong time of year to get people to talk about a movie like this, where yeah. they it opens right at Christmas time. Right. Yeah, what were the big Christmas awards releases that year? That I mean, The Fighter, I think, was December. True Grit, I want to say, was December that year. True Grit was a Christmas release. Um, even, like, The Fighter and Black Swan were December. Black Swan was also December. December. Yeah. But even still, I, I it's have just... A, I have a question about the the um the the good not great reviews because i i remember that too but i am i wrong to say that last year when people were making like best movies of the decade lists suddenly it somewhere was everywhere or was that literally just like i saw it like more than some of the other okay because i just i remember and in fact like the first i hadn't watched this movie when it came out and the first time i watched it was literally december of 2019 because of a I want to say at least like two or three people and or publications that I that did lists included it. And I was yeah, surprised because I, I, I didn't. I, I saw that it was on the New Yorker's list. At the yeah. Very yeah. Least. And yeah, I think it I think it became I think it's on some level the cool pick for Coppola because it was one of her least heralded. And I guess when you're talking about the decade, what are her 2010s movies? It's this. It's Bling Ring. It's Big Isles. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I missing anything? Uh, no. Right. Those are the three. And so I think of those, I think somewhere is your sort of like your critics pick of those kind of. Sure, sure, sure. That's probably true. I mean, like, I also, from like the kind of middling positive reviews to like best of the decade type of conversations, like, I get it because like that kind of upswing in favor for this movie, like I experienced it. I probably would have been like, yeah, it's good, but it was it's maybe my least favorite of her movies uh, just a few years ago. But like, I've probably watched it now two or three times in the past two or three years, and like, I definitely think it's one of her better movies. Um, I just think this is a movie that you maybe don't appreciate it for what it is, or you can't really sit with it as much the first time. And like, for me personally, this is a movie that's grown on me. So if anybody else experiences like that with yeah. this movie i get it yeah that year it showed up on the national board of reviews year-end awards uh of their top independent films 
it did not make the list of their uh, their top 10 movies but their top because nbr loves to spread that wealth and loves to give as many movies awards as possible they put it on their top please 10. show up to our luncheon yes exactly um it's an interesting list i'm looking at now animal kingdom we just mentioned a second ago uh with jackie weaver with also animal kingdom a stealth like like star incubator kind of of the 2010s mm-hmm. where ben mendelson's in that joel edgerton's in that uh jackie weaver all of those people would be in a bunch of other hollywood movies they nominated buried the shit ryan reynolds movie where he's buried alive and i think is so fucking boring i can't stand that movie i don't know if oh my god i haven't thought of that wait where do they nominate wait top 10 independent films top 10 independent films at the national board of review yeah oh god but critics really liked it i think that was a sundance movie chris am i am i wrong it was like Sundance or South by something, like, something that. like that. Yeah, uh, Fish Tank, the um, Andrea Arnold movie that's fucking awesome with amazing Michael Fassbender and a pair of jeans hanging halfway off his ass throughout the entire movie, <laughs> which nobody was mad about. Remember, it's I don't Fassbender's not the sex symbol that he was back then, right? Like that's it's no, because all of his movies bombed. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that changed? It? Yeah. I don't know. Is it maybe I mean, that I he didn't played mean Steve that Jobs? As a joke. It may be it, that we, yeah, nobody wants to fuck Steve Jobs. Like, right. I think that might be it. Yes. Well, I don't know. That did it. Um, I mean, for the record, I still, uh, to me, I still want to fuck him. <laughs> sure, but it's mostly like when he's making yeah. right? Like yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> um, the Ghost Rider, the, uh, the Polanski movie, The Ghost Rider, that people really liked that year with Ewan McGregor. Greenberg, the Noah Baumbach movie that. I really liked, but I have no interest to watch again, which like says a lot because it's a Greta Gerwig movie, and I fucking yeah. of course love Greta Gerwig, but it's so like sour. I watched that recently. So. It's yeah, it's like it's a tough one. You wanna, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's probably the way some people feel about Sofia Coppola, where you're like, I'm eighty percent of the way to to being like on board with this, but it's so <laughs> sour and so unpleasant. And Ben Stiller really is just like a fucking asshole in that movie that I it left me with a bad taste in my mouth and it's not like full like swan diving into unpleasantness like Margot at the wedding yes the Noah Baumbach that I love I love Margot at the wedding that shit again we also probably should admit though that like three gay men as we are we find that kind of sourness a lot more palatable coming out of nicole kidman than we do out of ben stiller and like of course yeah i'm fine with admitting that and also though greenberg's always the movie i point to when i talk about how sort of greta gerwig's leavening influence on noah bombeck's movies where like once she starts like co-writing them with francis ha Mm -hmm. and mistress america they just get so much better also but also just like so much more watchable. Like, I could watch those two movies, like, a billion times. And Greenberg, yeah. it's like, once was definitely well, enough. Greenberg is also when Greta Gerwig still had, like, a toe in the waters of Mumblecore. Yes. So, like, Greenberg kind of got lumped into Mumblecore-ness yeah. as well. I think that's right. Which is really not, like, those god-awful movies. And that was also the, like, the transition movie where Bombeck, uh starts the relationship with her and and mm-hmm. you know leaves Jennifer Jason Lee. So like there's not a whole lot of like residual good feeling for Greenberg actually. Um what's the rest of this list? Let me in the let the right one in remake that I think people ended up liking surprisingly so. A lot of people despised it at the time and I really like that movie. I at 
one point I might have said that it was better than the other, but um, I feel like that's an opinion that I've heard more and more recently um, as the years have gone. If you've read the book, I think you would like this one more than the original. I have to say, I had no idea this movie was well reviewed. I'm I'm looking at it now. I I thought I just thought like because it was a. I mean, when did Let the Right One In come out? Like, the year before? Yeah, not too oh, long yeah, before they that. Were, they were very, very similar. Um, I think to the point where this one, when it was greenlit, or maybe when they were even filming, the uh, the other one hadn't come out because oh, wow. Matt Reeves, who I think yep. wrote and directed it, yeah. um, based it entirely on the book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Monsters was on this list, the Gareth Edwards movie that was sort of his kind of proof of concept for him being a... Uh, blockbuster director it's good uh what's his name scoot mcnary's in it and it's got big sort of like lovecraftian monsters sort of stomping around at one point and there's like one really good scene where the two monsters like essentially like mate and it's kind of fascinating but the rest of it it's kind of tedious i think has anybody else seen it but me have not yeah it's fine i wouldn't go rushing out i would say go if you've seen it see it again and if you haven't see please give um uh the nicole hall of center my favorite nicole hall of center is it okay that's actually one of the few maybe the only one that i haven't seen well she's another filmmaker that is someone like you know people talk about it like she's up her own ass she only makes these movies about these privileged white ladies but i think even maybe more so than uh, Sofia Coppola really kind of interrogates it, and I think that uh, Please Give is the one that's maybe the most explicitly yep. doing so. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, specifically with the Catherine Keener character in that. Film. Yeah. Because yeah. I just yeah. rewatched Friends with Money, which I I remember finding okay, and I actually loved it the second time around. And I I want to see it again for that reason. I've, I've I remember seeing people being like oh it like it really holds up and i was also sort of like i was okay with it i think the first time I saw yeah it. yeah i definitely liked it more rewatching it recently than i did initially but like i still think that's maybe my least favorite of her movies mostly because and this i mean like i say this as a gay guy but like it's the one that spends the most time with the male characters and i just <laughs> yeah um, no it's true wait uh friends with money is yeah, like it has that whole thing with Francis McDormand's husband, and like, is he gay? And he develops a friendship yeah. with Ty Burrell, and it's like, I, this, I don't. I always think of Please Give as, as as centering more on the Oliver Platt character than I want it to. Well, and Enough but Said I, also has a lot of James Gandolfini. I feel. Oh and he's yeah, so good. But he's so but good. Please he's so Give, good. I think Oliver Platt's really great too. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Like I think everybody in that movie is actually really great. Um, what's her face from, uh, um. The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Sarah, Sarah Steele. Steele. So good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, somewhere then, I'm sorry, rounding out this list. Somewhere was on this list. And then Youth in Revolt, which I'm just never, I'm never going to be oh. on the same page. Everyone Tenda, loved that. Everybody did. And I watched it and I was just like, eh, Go know. off National Board of Review. Yeah. Yeah. So weird list, but you know, good for them. The, <laughs> one of the few awards that, uh, that, that somewhere would get after Venice. Al Fanning got a Broadcast Film Critics Association nomination for Best Younger Actor, and good for her. Um, it's kind of too bad you couldn't find more occasions to get her a nomination because she really is just wonderful in this movie. When do we think she will actually be Oscar nominated? It's a really she, good. It question. seems inevitable, right? 
because and she like works with a lot of auteurs you know it just seems like she will absolutely be in something that could get her nominated it feels like also she will be nominated for one of her least interesting performances but she's just in the right movie right oh like totally she's that totally performer it'll i mean she's still doing that thing where she's giving these great performances in in sort of smaller supporting roles i'm thinking of like 20th century women when i say that and even the beguiled is is on that list and her lead performances are still pretty off the beaten path and strange like how to wait is she a lead in how to talk to girls at parties or is she the yes right very strange movie i liked that movie a lot and like teen spirit the max Minghella movie is also just like she's like she takes these really kind of like weirdo movies which i really like but it is going to be when she ends up sort of taking a more traditional kind of like leading lady role. And she's still like wildly infuriatingly young. She's 22 years old. Like I, I, this is sorry to ask a problematic question, but has anyone seen a rainy day in New York? A no. Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's available in the right. States. Well, you know, I'm it's funny. Wrong. It's one of those movies that like when I visit family in Greece, sometimes I'll see I mean, this is a special case because of Woody Allen's, like, uh, history, obviously. But, like, with lesser... With movies that are just, like, that people want to put under the rug because they're not good, they will only be playing in, like, random countries of and Greece is, like, included. Like, I remember the Charlize Theron, like, Gillian Flynn adaptation was one of these movies. Oh, right. Oh, that wow. one. Yeah. yeah, like, I saw that in theaters with my mom because she was like, I love Charlize Theron. It was terrible. <laughs> um, but, like, but I... I Rainy Day in New York was playing last time I was, or not last time, but whatever, two years ago when I was home. And I didn't watch it because I didn't want to support Woody Allen. But I have to say, I have heard through the grapevine that it's actually very good. And I wonder if that, if things had been different, um, if maybe that would have been a big role for her. Because she's the lead, right? Or is Selena Gomez the lead? I thought it was Selena Gomez, but now I could be wrong. In the poster, she's listed right after Timothy Chalamet, but maybe that's in alphabetical order. No, I think you might be right, because also, yeah. Or it could be um, who shows up first on screen. Yeah, yeah. if it's a Woody Allen movie, then like I'm sure it's Timothy Chalamet, and he has like a relationship with Elle Fanning, and then exactly. a relationship with Selena Gomez, and he's you know torn between them and whatnot. It's and the Jason Biggs-Christina yeah. Ricci movie all over again. I right. know he well I mean it's the thing about Woody Allen movies is like even when they're shitty the casts are so good that you're just like ah, I I shouldn't and yet you know I want to yeah, see all yeah. these actors. I will say the one uh, Elle Fanning movie that I feel like is under the radar enough that nobody really talks about it is Ginger and Rosa. Have any of you seen the Sally Potter movie Ginger? I've never even heard of it. Seen that? Should I watch it? Yeah, I think you should. It's really, um, it's her and Alice Englert, who is um, Jane Campion's daughter. She was the the female lead in that movie, Beautiful Creatures, that I really like. The Alden Ehrenreich movie, Beautiful Creatures, that nobody saw and crashed and burned. Um, but it's her and Alice Englert, and they're like best friends, and it's England. Oh, it's Sally 60s. Potter. Yeah, it's Sally yeah. Potter. Yeah, yeah. Or, oh. Um, yeah, it's like it's it's England in the 60s and there's sort of like political sort of enlightenment happening and Al Fanning sort of like getting into the counterculture. And Alice Englert starts uh, or Alessandro Nivola plays Al Fanning's father and he starts to have a relationship with Alice Englert, with her like best friend. And it's a whole thing. And Annette Bening's in it playing this sort of like 
um, activist woman who sort of like takes Elle Fanning under her wing. It's a really interesting movie. I really, really liked it. It was an incredibly small release. I saw it at the New York Film Festival um, the one year, but it never really like made it too far past the festival stage. And I think it's like one Hendrix... of the first two or three A24 movies, right? Yes. Yes, it absolutely is. Um, Christina Hendricks plays Al Fanning's mom. It's it's a really interesting movie. It's not like, you know, phenomenal, but it's like it's it's worth watching for sure. So that's my recommendation. Um, anything else about Somewhere before we sort of like uh, uh, close the book on it? Not that I, I don't know. I, like I mean, I am. I'm now newly thought... sad about Stephen Dorff not having a career. <laughs> I know. It's too bad. And it's you get the sense he always seems like the kind of actor who, where you're just like, oh, he had like a whole big scandal, didn't he? And it's like, no, he didn't. But it's just sort of <laughs> exactly, always kind yeah. of feels like he did, right? Where it's just like, what happened? Why did he have to go away? Because he it's has just like, like the scummy air yeah. to him, right? And he's probably a perfectly nice guy. Oh, we never talked about the plaster scene. The, uh, the, oh, such a um, good scene. Uh, the scene where his face is encased in plaster, which is such a perfectly filmed scene of like low-key stress a moment most soothing to me in my career where it's like very placid but also stressful i'm just like you anytime you like comforting to me in these times it's just like i want to have my my head encased in something where it's like fully sensory deprived yeah but it's that the thing where once they like carve out the little nose holes for him and you sort of you get to linger on the fact of just like how little breathing room he has and how just sort of long he's going to have to be in that for it to set and it's such a well oh it's such a cool scene i really love it oh and hair savitas we didn't talk about speaking of like things that are filmed perfectly oh yeah we've talked about hair savitas before cinematographer he did the cinematography for um zodiac which we talked about semi-recently. This was his second-to-last film that he was able to complete. He did... Um, or no, wait, he completed The Bling Ring. It just wasn't released until after he I died, I don't think right? he did complete it. Okay. Because I think there's a second person credited yeah. to The Bling Ring. Yeah. So then the only other uh, complete film he did after Somewhere is the Gus Van Sant movie Restless that nobody saw, including me. I don't know if any of you saw it. It was like no, I didn't see that. teen romance as done mm-hmm. by uh, by Gus Van Sant. It's Mia Wasikowska and some boy who looks very Well, he like also did Greenberg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Savitas is an interesting one where he really sort of, like, lingers on just kind of a few filmmakers where it's Coppola, it's Gus Van Sant, and it's uh, Noah Baumbach to a degree. Mm-hmm. But, like, he, like, he does Zodiac for Fincher. He does... Um, the yards for James Gray and stuff like that. But like, it's mostly he sticks with Gus Van Sant and he does a couple Coppola's and he does a few uh, Noah Baumbach's. Oh, and also birth, which is like cinematography, the movie kind of. Um, and it's like for, for a relatively short career and relatively like maybe, you know, less than two dozen movies they're all really like gorgeously shot movies. Like all yeah. his Van Sants mm-hmm. are these very sort of like um, assembled sort of like it's elephant and Jerry and this sort of like that phase of Van Sant's career where everything was just these like, again, sort of like somewhere like these very long shots that lingered and sort of slowed the movie down and stuff like that. But um, really beautiful stuff. God, elephant is one of those movies that, 
is like haunting for years. It's so upsetting, and yet mm-hmm. I think it's really, really well done. Like, oh, 100%. I, it was very controversial. I remember at the time, is it exploitative? Is is whatever? And um, I think it's so upsetting, but like it should be, you know? It, yeah, it, no, yeah. It, so yeah. Oh, here's Savitas. May he rest. Um, anything else though about somewhere before we move on to the IMDb game? Ellie Kemper. Any thoughts on Ellie Kemper? Just sort of <laughs> Ellie Kemper playing it? Ellie Kemper. Yes, um, for real. <laughs> Michelle Monaghan in a little uh, yeah cameo. You kept thinking that she was going to be a more prominent character, right? You kept sort of expecting mm-hmm. that that was going to be, oh, this is going to be his sort of like um, tortured romance kind of storyline. And it resists going there, I think, to its to the film's uh, benefit. But you definitely yeah. feel like it might go there. Just like fully underlines how great Michelle Monaghan is because you get this whole sense of a history and uh, whatever it could possibly be. Like, you know that it is fully fleshed out in that actress's mind and like it registers in all of her body language, but like we never find out. And like, is just this fully composed performance in a scene that barely says any words. Yes. Um, But like, yeah, she can make you think that like it could suddenly just become her movie. I would like to see her do her. A, a, a Sofia Coppola movie in the future where she gets you know more time to to operate. I feel like that would be good for her. Yeah, she uh, really her... she she was on the verge for so long and yes, and I mean settled into you know a career. It's not like she's nowhere, but it she it, there were a couple of years where we were like, is she the next big yep. yeah star? Absolutely. And she just didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did feel that way. She was in um she was in the one Mission Impossible movie or maybe even a couple of them. I think she like she her character sort of lingers, three. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um she was also sort of ill served by True Detective, I guess of the long list of people in Hollywood who were. Uh yeah, she had that remember didn't she have that movie where she played like a trucker and it was supposed to be her sort of like D-glam. You mean the movie literally called It was called Trucker. Called Trucker? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was supposed to be her like D-Glam awards play or whatever, and it just like did not happen. Yeah, it was her cake. Right. It was her cake. And at least Cake got that SAG nomination, so good for Cake. What was she in with Shia LaBeouf? This is a very obvious question. Eagle it's Eye, like, baby. Eagle Eye, yes. Eagle yes. Eye, yes. I have such a memory of watching that movie and could not even... T- tell you its title today my, guess, but my one memory of eagle eye is me the sense of satisfaction i got from clocking that it was julianne moore's voice as the uh the voice on the phone sort of uh <laughs> terrorizing him in eagle eye i was again things that homosexuals do that yeah people don't uh clocking julianne moore's voice from 100 paces i was very proud of that oh you remember that weird little subgenre where it was just like Shia LaBeouf, DJ Caruso, like Money in the Bank, can't miss. Where it was Disturbia yeah. the one year, and then Eagle Eye the next year, and just like making money hand over fist. Uh, do wow. we want to play the IMDb game? Let's oh, yeah. do it, Chris. How about the rules to the IMDb game? All right, y'all. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of these titles are television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles released years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's the IMDb game. I'm realizing now I should have translated that into the into Italian, so it could be like the. Whatever so we could continue our streak of doing ridiculous accents in our uh, episodes. Yeah, last the previous month was like kind of an accidental month on major directors and goofy dialects. Yeah, we really could have continued that. Ah, oh, well. 
Um, George, since you are our guest, we will give you the option of A, uh, whether you want to go first or last, and then B, whether you want to um, uh, quiz Chris or quiz me. Okay. Um, oh, I only I only quiz one of you? Yeah, yeah. You're, okay. uh, yeah, yes. We'll go sort of in a circle. Right, right, right. Okay. Oh, I see, I see, I see. I can I can go first, and okay. then I will quiz uh, you. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So then I will quiz uh, Chris, and then he will quiz you. Okay, great. Right. Sounds fine. All right. Um, mine is someone I was very surprised. I mean, it's a it's a big star, but there's one random movie in here. Uh, so let I look forward to talk about it. But Jane Fonda. Oh, oh. this is fun. Okay. Oh, Jane Fonda's got such a wide-ranging career too. It's 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 a tough it's a tough one, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna try and start with her Oscar movies. So I'll go Clute. Yes. First, yes. Okay. Clute is so goddamn good. Like one yeah. of the best best actress wins, fucking ever. I'm gonna maybe stray away from, and I'm not gonna guess Coming Home quite yet because that seems to have faded more than Clute has. Nine to five. Nope homophobia exists (laughs) well the devil continues to find work okay see it's gonna end up being something like like one of her modern it's gonna be at least one modern movie and it's gonna be weird uh monster in law no damn it okay all right so what are the years okay so the years are 1968 1978 and 2015 but it's i'm not gonna say two one of them is like really a an insane choice okay so 78 is coming home i'm guessing that yes right? okay both of our oscar movies 68 is 68 too early for barbarella or is that Barbarella? that is it that's barbarella okay. yep okay so the 2015 one's the weird one yeah okay it's very upsetting oh no <laughs> it is right all right. See, she started making a lot more movies though after um, *Monster in Law*. So, oh God, I know what it is. I hated this movie. It's *Youth*, right? Yeah, it's *Youth*. Fucking. Okay. Movie. See, I didn't even know she was in it. She got like she a Golden Globe nomination for it. for it. Yeah. Okay. Then am I thinking of something different? This is the one where like it's like two older men yep. mm-hmm. at like a retreat she in Italy or like, whatever. Right. It's like Michael Caine. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. Yes. Oh, it treats her fully ghoulishly. It's upsetting. Yeah, her makeup this... is really, really garish. It's a whole thing. It makes her look like the thing about Jane Fonda is she's in her, she's like eighty at this point, right? Like she's like, but looks twenty years younger. Like she looks amazing, and that movie is just like we're gonna make her look a hundred and ten years old. Yeah, and just like so yeah. craggy. It's so weird. Ugh. All and right. treat her so poorly. Um, is that movie just bad? Should I not watch it? Oh, because, it's garbage. Don't okay. watch it. Because that's what I... Because, th- I mean, even the way it was advertised, it was just, like, a picture of an ass and then, like, Michael Caine smiling. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say it's got a good Rachel Weisz performance, but it's not nearly in, in the movie enough to, like, be worth it. Yeah. Rachel Weisz is probably the best thing about that movie. Yeah. She plays... Which? Caine's daughter? Right? That would make sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right, Chris, I'm going to uh, – well chosen, George. Uh, well Thank done. you. Very <laughs> infuriating and challenging, which is how we like My second movie, choice, was, which is very different, was Ellen Page, but then it literally was the four movies she's known for. Yeah, so right. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Okay. Um, Chris, so one little tidbit. Uh, I went through the, the sort of Sofia Coppola route for this, and I kind of thought that Godfather Part 3 was Coppola's only like screen performance beyond like being a baby in the other two Godfather movies. But she had shown up in a bunch of her dad's other movies. She was in... Yeah. Uh, Peggy Sue got married, which also sort of like gave her that Kathleen Turner connection that uh, Kathleen Turner ended up being in the Virgin Suicides, playing the mom in the Virgin Suicides. Kathleen Turner and James Woods, if those are your parents, I'm just saying, like maybe, you know, your kids would be fucked up too. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to have you guess the known four for Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner, amazing. Love her. Um, well, I'll say Peggy Sue got married. She's Oscar nominated for that. Yep. Yep. Correct. R- Romancing the Stone. Yep. Okay. Um, I wonder if any more of the Michael Douglases will be there. I'm going to say The War of the Roses. Yep. Okay. Three for three. Oof. Ooh, I can't screw this up. Um, okay. Kathleen Turner. I don't think. The Virgin Suicides is in there. I wonder if the fourth one is going to be something like fundamentally embarrassing, like uh, like Baby Geniuses or something. Oh boy. Okay. Um, it can't be Jewel of the Nile. That's the one that people forget about. Maybe it's Serial Mom. I'm I'm stalling because I'm trying to get a perfect score. I know that means a lot to you, and it should. It it really does. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's Shoot. not V.I. Warshawski, and I'm incensed that it's not. The seminal okay, wait 1991 a film V.I. Warshawski. I don't remember if you mentioned this or not. Is it a voice performance? No, it's not. It's not Who Framed Roger God Rabbit. God damn it. It should be a voice performance. It should. Jessica Rabbit absolutely should be on there. Iconic. Was she nominated for Preetzi's Honor? I don't think so, but don't quote me on that. I think she got like a Golden Globe nomination for that, but I don't know if she got an Oscar. I'm nomination. just gonna go with the one that I think she's first build on and say it's Serial Mom. It's Serial Mom. Congratulations. <laughs> Perfect <Wow>. score, baby. <laughs> yes. Well done. Well done. You zigged when uh, when I thought you were gonna zag. I thought you might have gone with Body Heat. Um, oh, I didn't even think of body heat it should maybe be body heat i should have i should have uh steered you in that direction now i want to see if she was nominated for pritzy's honor um she's definitely probably globe nominated for body heat right um let's see let's go to the old she Kathleen drags Turner. william hurt by the dick in that movie <laughs> <laughs> all right even Kathleen I was like, turner awards is oscar nominated only for peggy sue got married so not pritzy's honor she was Golden Globe nominated for Body Heat, Romancing the Stone, Pritzi's Honor, Peggy Sue Got Married, and The War of the Roses. So uh, clearly the IMDb game is borrowing heavily on her Golden Globe successes. Well Fantastic. done. Good job. Thank you. All right. So, George, for you, I have dug into past Sofia Coppola stars. I was trying to look for somebody that people might forget was a Sofia Coppola star, and from Marie Antoinette, I have for you Rose Byrne. Wow. Um, okay. It, wait. It, do you say if one of them's a if it's a 
TV show or just if it's a voice There's performance? There's no TV, no voice, so no damages. Oh, wow. It's not it, It's not damages. Wow, okay. That was going to be like my first guess. That's surprising. Okay, uh, Bridesmaids? Yes. Spy? Yes. Um... Uh, neighbors. Neighbors. Is this gonna be two perfect scores in one episode? You don't uh, have any wrong answers yet. Okay. Um. Well, now I'm trying to think. What are the other big Rose Byrne? Oh. Um. Uh. Okay. Is it get him to the Greek? No. Unfortunately, uh, it's okay. not get him to the Greek, which she guess, sings though. like fully unwell songs in that movie. <laughs> She sings a song about her butthole in that movie. It's so, it's, it's, I have to say, Rose Byrne, I know I don't want to say she's underrated because she is, you know, people know she's good. She's but rated. But that's something you don't even think about. Like, the yeah. fact that she literally sings an entire song about her butthole. Some blokes say that one hole is more than enough. Then why did God give me two? Not and claim my mouth. If you've got a pretty face and a pretty fanny too, you will find the most prestigious blokes are lining up to meet you. Is she supposed to be like a Katy Perry kind of a thing, or she's exactly supposed to be Katy Perry? Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Is oh, is it Annie? No, it's not Annie. Um, okay. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> uh, your year though is 2010. Oh, so the year of somewhere. Uh, and also. I, well, I think the year of getting with the Greek is 2010, but, um, okay, I, ooh, uh, 2010. I will, if I can steer you along towards a hint, I don't think the year is really going to help you. Yeah, okay. Um, she does have multiple franchises that people forget about, and this is one of them. I, of so, a it, very is she, different genre than the movies we've it, She's not in, like, randomly in, like, X-Men or something, is she? She actually is in X-Men First Class, but it is not that movie. Okay, well, I, uh, I give up. <laughs> it's a horror movie. It's actually, like, a horror movie that nobody kind of talks about, but was incredibly popular. Is it Insidious? Yes. It's Insidious. Wow. Okay, wow. Yeah, well, Insidious and, like, The Conjuring sort of, like, piggybacked on one another to kind of and then set just that like kind of, like, that was... into their sequels. Right, but, like, that was, like, then that was just, like, the horror movie that existed in the 2010s. Like, that's what every yeah. horror movie in the 2010s was just going to be, was, um, like, wispy, scary lady ghosts <laughs> hiding in your basement or whatever. Yeah. Yes, good job, George. Well, well that was great. You know, well actually, done. speaking of lasts, the last uh, play I went to before <clears throat> quarantine was Rose Byrne and Bobby Cannavale in. Um, oh, no kidding, Medea. Wow, she's how, supposed to be great, right? She, I mean, listen, the like, per, the actual play itself, it depends on if you like that. Which I honestly am undecided. I mean, it was like all, it was very Evo Van Hove, like it was all in a white background, uh-huh. uh, yeah. literally no props, no nothing. Um, and then there's like weird camera work where like her face is projected behind her and stuff, um, which, you know, can be distracting. I do think she was very good in it, but like it as a play, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, George, Amazing. thank you so much. This was a really, really fun episode. We had such a good time talking about Sofia Coppola, about uh, minimalist movies that we love. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Uh, it was an utter pleasure invitation. having you here today. Oh, I'm Absolutely. so glad. That's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. George, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Ah, uh, yes. Um, at George Severus on, I think, every platform. Uh, and Stradio Lab is, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, everybody. Christopher, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That's F-E-I-L. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please claw yourself out of that cast on your wrist and type us up a nice review, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz.